is the big ponder. What's the first thing that comes to mind when you hear the word immersion? I think about jumping into a body of water, a pool or a lake or the ocean, and the world sounds different. It's both quiet and loud. You're sinking and floating at the same time. The feeling of being underwater is complete and total immersion. This episode of The Big Ponder explores how we reach that feeling when we participate in artworks, when we, as audience members, join an artist's constructed world. Welcome. My name's Nancy Petinikio, and I'm your host for this episode. I had the chance to speak with Dr. Thomas Obaenda. Thomas's background is in theater. He's worked as a playwright, as a dramaturge, and as an author exploring the intersections between theater, other art practices, and society. He's the director of the Berliner Festspiele and the art director of the program named Immersion. He's been asking questions surrounding this theme for years now. I have to say that there is no equivalent term in German language uh, for immersion. Five or six years ago, the term immersion was only used by some media theorists in the university, but not uh, in the everyday language, like it's in the English language. If you say something is immersive, it doesn't mean it has to be related to art. It's, it's just a very intense feeling of being connected or diving in into something. But in German, we don't have this kind of word. Uh, maybe we say it's eindringlich or something, but... Uh, Nobody is uh, connecting it with uh, the art fields. This changed in the, in the 90s with the new media, but only in this field of some very specialized artists and, and scientists in this uh, field of new media. Can you tell me, how do you determine if an artwork is immersive? How, how can you tell if it'll fit within the immersion program? I mean, the, the very old uh, structure of uh, exhibiting something is uh, extracting something. You take it wherever it's embedded and uh, put it on a wall or put it in a vitrine. Then the visitor is opposite of it. And you have the feeling you are a subject and this is the object. And you are free to choose your perspective. But you don't think about the situation of this object and you don't think about your situation. You are part of a structure that makes you feel like an individual that can choose its own way and tempo and everything. In the theater world, uh, the experience is time-based. Uh, what's going on on the stage is scripted by the play. And what we did is we started to script exhibitions, make time-based exhibitions. So basically, nothing is fixed. It's there and you are here. and we started to develop infrastructure that welcomes you, that say, um, ah, you are there. The artwork is not the object uh, on the wall. The artwork is the exhibition that includes you. 
this is very complicated uh, technically, uh, but it's at the same time magic because you feel, wow, it's an organism, it's alive, and I'm a part of this life. I also spoke to François Griset, a multidisciplinary artist based in Montreal. François and I spoke face-to-face in the studio. I asked François to speak more specifically about his documentary theater project, Tout Inclus, or All Inclusive. In 2012, François' parents moved to a senior's residence. Adapting to their new home was difficult, though, so to better understand what his parents were going through, François decided to also move into a senior's residence, despite being in his early 40s. He found Les Jardins du Patrimoine in Val d'Or, about a seven-hour drive north of Montreal. François is not particularly interested in a distant, academic type of research. Instead, to discover the complicated system that is Quebec's retirement and care facilities for elderly people, François preferred to be physically present in one of those spaces because he needed to ask questions, face-to-face. Tout Inclus, or All Inclusive, is a documentary theater piece where François plays himself. With fellow actors on stage, he alternates between reenacting his experience and speaking directly to the audience to narrate what it was like during his month-long stay at the residence. The root of my practice is really wanting to amalgamate and stop being in only one specific practice, which was actor in the theater field. I wanted to have the possibility to use whatever was more so suited to the the questions I was asking. What does the notion, what does the awareness of death bring to the way we live our lives? So that's, that was my first diving into a topic in a very different way that was completely out of a theater practice. So I created pieces, and I still do, that are set up and presented in a public space. So it was an intention of mine to get out of the traditional, I'm buying a ticket, go to the theater, sit down in the audience and listen to a story, which is fine. But I was more so interested in how I could bring these pieces into the world, into public spaces, and that, that's the natural evolution of the things I'm doing now and that I will create in the next years. They involve a participation, an active participation of the people coming to not see the presentation, but be in and create the piece in a way. You know, they, they're not just a witness. They're a participant and their influence make the piece evolve and advance and transform. What drew you to performance as your initial medium, as your primary medium to begin with, and acting? And how do you think that's maybe evolved over time? Acting is presenting yourself in front of an audience and telling a story. I became very curious as to what if that fourth wall that's referred to in the theater world could be truly broken that it that it would become a dance between, oh, I'm not only an actor or an audience member, but I'm a bit of I'm a bit of both. So I'm not only an actor. I'm not only truly an audience member. There is a dance that can be created. And the other important part, you know, as as a background, is that 
I love theater. I hate theater. And when I hate theater, it's because I'm sitting in the audience going, I don't want to be here anymore. I'm stuck. I'm in the middle of a row and I cannot leave. And I, and I was deeply interested in how pieces could be much more inclusive, how that relationship could be two seconds or the full two hours. And that, it, that I'm satisfied with the public coming in for a short period of time and then taking a picture and leave or being involved completely and going from A to Z in the story that I've intended, intended to present. Being stuck is not a feeling I like. <laughs> <laughs> With reason. <laughs> I decided in that venture that I did of going to live with seniors for one month to be stuck. I was with them, but I was engaged. I wanted to be there. Sticking with it in that circumstance brought a lot of light and knowledge around a situation which we are not very well informed because we don't live it. What brought me to that place of investigating the notion of immersion was the notion of exclusion. From all of my personal stories, I, I know I'm very keen to listen to situations where I feel that people are excluded. Being aware of exclusion and the fear of being excluded propels me, and I'm very curious. Can you describe your first impression of the residence? What was it like? When I got to Les Jardins du Patrimoine, um, I was in shock, but I did not know it. The place that I was in was really clean, like too clean. And all of the lighting is fluorescent, so it's too strong all the time. Um, the room that I lived in was a half-basement room, like a bachelor size. It was nice, very roomy, two windows, like, full of light. Like, it, it was a good place to be in. Like, I, I, was, I, was, I was in a good apartment. Uh, and the lady, the lady that was um, the director of the place had bought me, um, all of the furniture that was there belonged to a lady that had just died. So she bought all of the furniture from that family for me. And I guess, you know, n now that I reflect on it, feeling out of place, being the youngster of 43 years old in a group of, you know, elderlies, and being uprooted and feeling like you're in a school, but it's all old people, and you're in a room that's not yours in furniture that belonged to a dead lady that you don't know, What's truly uh, frightening and at a very cellular level is that death is everywhere in those places, everywhere. I remember after 20 days, I was in such a bad state of mind. I was like, yeah, death is in this glass and death is in this Kleenex box. And, you know, like I was like, but it's true. Like, it's like they know they're going to die and they're fine with it and they talk about it. They're not fine with it. It's not true. But it's it's very present, you know. You're surrounded by people that more so in 20 years <laughs> will be 
you know, in the ground. So it's, I got to understand that that's, that's one of the roots of why it's so frightening to be in front of aging people. That's also one of the big positive side of immersion is that there's no distance anymore. You don't say, no vieux, les vieux, the old people, them. It's like, no, no, no. They're me. These people are me in 30 years, 35 years. <laughs> so it, it's good. I think it's good. It's good. And, and I've learned something very rich. I would love to know a little bit about how you prepared for your Well, I didn't. Day. <laughs> <laughs> of course, I knew my questions. I had thought about it. But I think that at least it's like a, there's a thrill and there's an excitement in just diving in the pool. You know, the collaborator I've been working with, Annabelle Sutar, often said, oh, it's like you just jumped in the pool and then you went, holy shit, like I'm in the pool. And truly, it is how I do it. I, I do it in the living of it. I, I prepare by living it. And in, in that's where the notion of immersion is very rich to me, is that I just dive into the pool. And then I see, do I know how to swim this water or not? And if I need to learn something to swim this water, well, I, I will learn it with the people in the pool with me. I feel that when I have learned it that way, then it never goes. I know it. I know it in my bones. You know, it's not, it's not theory anymore. It's like muscle memory. Absolutely. Documenting reality in a fictional world was very interesting to me again, you know. And it's fictional, and yet we're all in a room, it's 8 o'clock, the show starts, so it's right now. It's also, again, that notion of right here, right now, we are in front of one another, and we will hear a story. That's what Tout Inclus is. The last artist I had the chance to speak with is Zizi Powers. Zizi is also a multidisciplinary artist. We had a video call since she's based in Toronto. She was in her home, sitting at a desk in front of a laptop, and I asked her to describe the space she was in for us. It's a little bit windy, and so that means that the old trees outside are creating sort of a dappled sunlight and shade in this room. In 2017, Zizi exhibited a virtual reality piece named This Could Be You. The project started as a means of researching and better understanding virtual reality. Zizi was curious about this seemingly goofy yet incredibly expensive technological experiment that most people won't really have the chance to have a meaningful experience with. If you put yourself in the shoes of the participant, what do you experience when you encounter this piece. In This Can Be You, the experience is something that I really intended to be something very uh, uncomfortable, but still still physically accessible. So I wanted to build something that a person would be able to have a high degree of mobility and control within, that there would be no learning curve, and that the entrance into this body would be seamless. I came to this thing of like, what is a body that makes me feel really uncomfortable um, that isn't about somebody else? 
And I really realized it's, it's, it's me as an elderly person. And the reasons for this are sort of twofold. We live in a very um, youth-focused culture, and to be elderly is something that's very fearful, especially from a physical point of view. And on top of that, in terms of making an act like an avatar that's VR friendly, it was pretty much impossible for me to make a 90 year old body that was accurate without actually having to like go in and program something in the back end. So it ends up being this very uncomfortable feeling of you're looking at this, this like very haggard elderly face with like a bald head, naked, um, with a body that's actually quite youthful. And this person's in this landscape that is completely devoid of any sort of organic matter. The ground is concrete. There's no trees. There's no plant life. There's no animals. And they're alone, completely alone. And they are surrounded by a lot of e-waste. This garbage is raining on top of you and you're facing yourself. So you see your body when you look down at it, but you also see your mirror directly across from you. And every time she's hit by flying cell phone, way out of scale, <laughs> some toilet paper, uh, whatever it is, the CDs, it impacts her body. And every time you are hit, it impacts your body and you're both the same body. Do you think that immersion is something that only happens when we explore the unfamiliar? If it's something that's, you know, whether it be through an unfamiliar technology, a technological experience, or an unfamiliar setting? Or do you think we're immersed also in the familiar in our everyday lives? Well, when we talk about immersion as a, a technological experience or experience of difference or um, sameness, I mean we're really talking about are we are we always immersed in where we are or is that an experience that we have to be, have some sort of mediated somehow you know vr is interesting in this way where it's like oh you're given a tool to um yeah immerse yourself in another experience to generate empathy to generate awareness but i think that again that sort of narrative of like vr creates empathy, which is also something you'd really see in this sort of mid-20-teens boom where everybody's like, we've got a headset that our lab can afford, so we're going to, you know, create a program with a team of psychologists. If that tool works for people, I think that that's really powerful and those experiences of immersion in a, a place that's not real to come to a real place inside yourself is, is valuable But I also do think, you know, through my research, looking at these things, I was consistently surprised by the lack of acknowledgement of the ways that those um, awarenesses can be reached just with other people. I wanted to create a space that you know, I feel uncomfortable in that is, is frightening to me. Um, but that, uh, through that is also giving people, um, you know, a physical experience that they are, are not confronted with ever because it is fantastical, but the elements inside it are very clearly referencing a future we're all afraid of. 
in sci-fi, that's literature, especially a term that I think really accurately describes some of the most beloved works of sci-fi is world making where the, the artist is or the writer is able to just through words alone, create a whole other world that we can find ourselves immersed in and and completely believable. No matter how fantastic it is, we can understand this as a, a place that um, could really be. When I spoke with Dr. Thomas Obaenda, who you heard at the beginning of the episode, he told me that every art form is a type of world building. When I asked him about his thoughts on escapism and immersive artworks, he told me that when you escape, you escape to reality, not to something different. He said it's just a different kind of reality. It's not not real, wherever you go. Thomas pointed out that we can refuse the dialectic structure of this is reality and art is something different and say, no, art is simply another quality of being real. Did you have an intention of there being a specific outcome? When I made it, I was just interested in in what I would experience for myself and making sure that people people were able to experience it with as few external limitations as possible. You have to remember, like this VR and what we kind of are seeing as VR now really just started in 2015 and when this piece came out in 2017 it was it so novel to most people and I think it still is this was also a time when climate disaster was still something we could pretend was a one-off or a freak incident and and sitting here in 2021 seeing that you know what we knew what was going to happen anyway that um, the world is simultaneously underwater and on fire and we'll probably be like that for the rest of our lives. That feeling of like, oh, it's just trash. We're just, it's, there's nothing left but trash. Um, was was operating on, on a very subtle level with people. And I think, you know, for somebody to experience the piece today, whether or not they have um, experienced VR in the past, I'd be really, really curious. But overall, people's interactions with, my, my VR work in this case were, were so much about that kind of novelty and wow factor of the technology. What is the link with aging and kind of the, the complicated and, and challenging future that, that we're facing? Aging is, is terrifying to us. We see it, we conceptualize it as this thing of a, a terrifying decline of our bodies and minds as opposed to this progression to a point where your life experience is is valuable. To be someone approaching the end of their life in a world where our resources are completely depleted, um, we are facing constant crises that are literally destroying our homes and forcing mass migrations. It's a frightening idea if we can't take advantage of the resources around us, we are going to just drown in them as a burden and a problem, as opposed to something that we can use to help survive and move forward in the future. Art is always a reflection of its time. What you'll see over and over again is that 
the statements that art makes about what the future could be are also very deeply rooted in what the present is. I think people really need to be able to see the difference between being funneled into something that is um, essentially just treating them as a data point and engaging with something that allows themselves to be you know, immersed in a world without letting the participant be exploited themselves. In the case of you know, VR and new and emerging technologies, it's really about um, you know, fundamentalist capitalism. Have you become the commodity? And if you are the commodity and you don't even realize it, that's a problem. Immersion is a means of tackling difficult questions, of facing things head-on. Immersing ourselves in artworks has always been essential in shaping the future, because they allow us to question the present. Here's Thomas with some final thoughts. Our last project was uh, about climate change, because climate uh, system is a system in which you can't stand out of it. So one of our big exhibitions was uh, named uh, Welt ohne Außen, World Without Outside. And it means there is no outside anymore. You're always embedded in something that you are influencing and you are influenced by. Immersion is not about shaking walls in a museum. Uh, it's about the shaking of the world itself. Everything that is deep and intense is immersive. It's denying the border between you and the world. This was Immersion, an episode of The Big Ponder hosted by me, Nancy Petinicchio. Thank you to our three participants and to you for listening. listening to The Big Ponder. This transatlantic podcast is brought to you by the Goethe Institute in collaboration with the Bertelsmann Foundation and Rundfunk Berlin-Brandenburg. Thanks to all our friends on both sides of The Big Pond that make this series possible. <laughs>